From the forests and heaths of West Suffolk to the pastoral calm of the Dedham Vale, Suffolk is a county which revels in its beauty, but also in its humility. And yet it's full of successful businesses, purposeful charities and fascinating people. The conversations that we are holding are with the people in Suffolk who work on the three things that you can do with your money. You can spend it, you can save it, or you can give it away. So we're talking with the entrepreneurs and the business leaders where we spend our money. We're talking to the independent financial advisors and money experts who help us when we have financial issues. And we're talking to the charities and the community groups who are making a difference within our county. Come with me, if you will, to the side of a river. To the left of you is the towering but graceful structure of the Orwell Bridge sweeping across the river. And to your right, several miles in the distance, are the cranes of Felixstowe and Harwich ports. But nearer is the bobbing and swaying of the yachts in the Wolverston Marina. In front of you is the river itself flowing serenely down to its mouth with the North Sea. But behind you is the Suffolk Food Hall, a series of buildings that contains all forms of retail and culinary delights. So with that, it's a pleasure to be able to talk to Oliver Paul, one of the directors of Suffolk Food Hall. Coming from a farming family, we'll have the opportunity to talk with Oliver about how he progressed into working in the city and then felt to come back to Suffolk and take on this challenge of creating this destination on the side of the River Orwell. Oliver, it's great to be able to speak to you today. Sounds very good, Colin. Sounds as if you'd taken a passage out of a Arthur Ransom book. You Obviously, think so? he, he was writing 80 years ago, but uh, maybe <laughs> maybe that's his would have been his opening scene if he was writing today. Well, that's very good of you. I, that, genuinely, though, I've just taken, I think too many times I've been for early morning breakfast meetings or something, and I've walked out and the sun's been up and the river is in front of me, and that's I've got two or three pictures, panoramic, I think, just of that and that's what I think of when I think of, of Suffolk Food Hall. That's great that's very kind I mean we we obviously like to think that it portrays all the wonderful things about Suffolk in one place not only our, our landscape and our setting and our big open skies but the wonderful fare and produce that we have in the county and the food hall is there to provide that in a convenient and easy uh, way for the customer to come and enjoy all the wonderful things that we have and that may be buying things to take back home and enjoy, or it may be enjoying them in the cafe or the restaurant. So what, what do you have there? Let's, let's think about that. That's behind me. I've just explained what I'm seeing in front of me. But what, what do you have in, in all those buildings? Let's, let's go from one end to the other, or you, know, you start where you want. So, I mean, the site was a, uh, originally a intensive cattle unit. Uh, and so the food hall building, which is the first that you come to, is actually where we now have the farm shop. And that also has a garden center, a really good home department and a cafe. In between, there is a, an area which we've used for escape rooms and, and various other sort of ancillary activities. So other ways of entertaining customers when they're on site. And then we have the cookhouse building. Uh, that actually used to be the silage clamp. 
and you can have an extra brownie if you can tell me what a, a silage clap was, but it was uh, a, a place which we've now converted into being the restaurant and function rooms upstairs. And then downstairs, we've got nine commercial kitchens. And those kitchens are let out to other like-minded food businesses. And then on the site, we've added in more food companies, more operators there. We've uh, expanded into the sort of health, well-being and lifestyle as well. Uh, so we have a Pilates studio, there's a gym operator, there's a obstacle course fun run guy, and we've got various others, florists, and um, we've had children's craft making and that sort of thing, all operating on site. But that really allows us to be a destination. It's a, a place where people can go and entertain themselves. Now, we make our money out of selling the food but we are really there to uh, observe that leisure opportunity and it, it was an idea that actually Rob my cousin had uh, back in 2004 I think and he and I were working in London at the time and, and lived together and you know he, he's a big foodie and it was obvious that there was a, a gap in the market there was a lack of easy convenient access to the great produce that we have everything seemed to be dominated by the multiples, whether that was the supermarkets or whether it was the chain restaurants. And yet we had lots of things. And because of our family farming background, we had a good network of being able to provide access to the customer. And he, he you know, structured a project to take these redundant farm buildings, uh, raise the finance and launch the food hall. And we did the food hall first. And then in 2012, we did the cookhouse building. So, you know, it's been quite a uh, steep learning curve. Um, you know, when I joined the team, um, which was before we opened, he and I had no real first-hand experience of running a, a retail or a restauranting operation. But actually, ever since we've opened, we've hired extremely well. We have a fantastic core team who know the skills. And Rob and I partly through our jobs that we had in London, you know, have the sort of business acumen, have the background to be able to run a small business and to be able to inspire the team and to take it forward. Now that's a really interesting aspect that's worth exploring, which is your business backgrounds before you came back and, and ran the, the food hall and, and everything. So talk us through your respective skill set there and then how you've been able to use that. Yeah, so I mean, you know, I, I think we complement each other. Uh, I suppose being you know family members we're very frank and honest with each other and you know you can challenge without sort of fear of, of crossing any lines or anything like that which which is good um rob qualified as an accountant uh, and then actually joined a, a corporate finance boutique so you know he he is well very well comfortable or extremely gifted when it comes to appreciation of numbers and uh comprehension of trends and where things are going in a tight margin business is absolutely critical to the way we operate knowing about what is performing what's not what stock levels we've got what are our turn that we've got so you know these are key sort of financial indicators that everyone needs to have within their life uh, it's particularly helpful if you've got someone who's very savvy at that sort of thing um I actually joined Capgemini, which was a business consultancy, or I was part of the business consulting team at Capgemini, their system integrator. Uh, and that gave me a wonderful exposure to all sorts of different clients and different projects and different problems. And we were doing a lot of transformation projects, which revolved around business process re-engineering and cultural change. 
Uh, I actually then moved into the sales support side of the business. And so that's given me a little bit of the exposure to fluffy skills. So the, the, the way that we tend to split it is I, you know, will tend to do uh, some more of the sales and marketing and, and more of the stuff that's a bit more nebulous. And there is Rob who's grounded in, in the numbers. That's not to say that the contribution from the key members of the team, uh, it, you know, that what they provide is immeasurable and it's exceptional to what we've got. So, you know, it is very much a team operation and, it, you know, I need to give a, a big shout out to those guys, particularly our general manager. You know, she, she is a woman and she provides that Venus approach to rebalance perhaps the Mars uh, outlook that Rob and I have, um, but she's also someone who is fair, honest, very genuine with her, her staff, um, very customer orientated, uh, knows about retailing far beyond what we do. Um, and then beyond that, you know, she's supported or we're all supported by a, a very good financial director, Ryan. Uh, we have Russ, who is in a, a, an operational management role, so he keeps the whole site ticking over. We have Jackie in charge of standards, and then that cascades down to retail managers and um, marketing managers and people who charge the food service side of things. So, you know, it, it, it's a, a collaborative approach. What were you thinking first? Did you think, right, this is what we need to have for sale within the um in the food hall these are the things we want to sell and then you worked your staff accordingly chicken and egg i'm interested in that whole right let's convert the building but actually that doesn't make you any money that's not going to give you a business you've got to then move forward with that what stages did you take that i could probably give you two answers to this <laughs> one is uh perhaps a bit more truthful than the other uh the second has the benefit of hindsight you know, looking back on things, we made some good decisions. We also made some really tough decisions. We probably learned more through those failures. Uh, they might have been costly. And I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll empathize that anyone who is weighing up uh, an investment project, you know, needs to try and think through the business plan, needs to try and make sure that they have a clear objective, needs to make sure that financing is in position and that there's sensible management or return on that investment and that assets are being uh, used to their potential. In truth, we were perhaps a little foolhardy. Uh, you know, there was a bit of gun-ho. One of the interesting things about being a farm shop is actually there's a wonderful compatriothood around the country of other farm shops, other diversified farming businesses, you know, and, and we did a good amount of research. There were a fair number of people who said to us, are you sure you really want to do this? You know, it's a really tight margin game. And if you get your wastage wrong or your staffing wrong, you will not make a profit. And you've got probably quite a valuable asset there. It may be an asset because of heritage that it's tied up that you don't feel that you can sell it but is this really the right thing to be doing you're going to have to borrow a lot of money you're going to have to work very hard it's a seven day a week trading operation and you know rob and i were a bit gung-ho uh, we 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 did go through all the right business planning stages and tried to practice what we preach but actually really it's only with the benefit of hindsight that we can look back and we can see where we got margins wrong and where we made the wrong decision and where we quite often and, and you know I've seen this with other businesses you try and build your way out of a problem you know you think that 
perhaps the kitchen isn't operating as, as, it, as it should do. So the answer is not changing the process. It's actually, oh, well, let's stick in some more ovens or let's refit the whole thing. And, you know, in hindsight, so many of those decisions were not right. They weren't grounded in, in really trying to test out the best way forward. Uh, I suppose looking back on things, what, what I'd really like to do is to try and impart as much of this knowledge to other people, because, you know, we, we are very keen on supporting the local indie food sector. And one of the ways that we can do that is sharing our knowledge. And then collectively, as businesses across Suffolk, we can provide a genuine alternative to the supermarkets. Mm. So what stage in the build process or once you were opened, did you say, right, we'll move on from having a farm shop with all the other ancillary activities around that to then opening the restaurant? It was always um, part of a longer term plan. The time frame from that was slightly jumped forward because there was a grant opportunity. Um, and, you know, we received a, a fair bit of RDP or rural development money um, uh, to do the cookhouse project. And, you know, that attracted us um, uh, perhaps a, a little bit of moth to the light approach. And in hindsight, it took our eye off the original build and the original retailing part of the project. So, so if you, you know, very much look at our whole history to date, it's, it's been three stages. There's been the capital investment to build the facility. Uh, there is second stage was very much to uh, improve the rigor of the business to make it more robust to define processes uh, to institute those processes so that the company could run itself and it wasn't being micromanaged by the directors uh, and the third stage has been is at the moment and it will be for the foreseeable future very much investing in the team giving them the training development but our second stage making the business robust was slightly delayed or we were distracted by the second build part and, you know, maybe an error uh, that we rushed into that. Um, I don't think we really begrudge it because of the, the grant opportunity and it, and it did cause us to push on, but it just, it meant the business was a little slow to mature and, and to be definitive on what returns it could provide. Um, you know, we've, we've, all sorts of things have happened along the way. Um, you know, where our financing arrangements have been good and, um, you know, we've had very good support from banks. Uh, at times, you do need to really listen to what they're saying. Uh, we were slightly tripped up by the credit crunch. Uh, we had to actually refinance because our bank at the time um, was essentially uh, giving us a threefold increase in the cost of our facility. Um, and there are reasons behind that, but I, I suspect they were looking at what their portfolio was and decided that, you know, a small retail operation farm diversification project in Suffolk was not fitting within their profile. So, you know, either we have to cough up a lot for our financing or we have to go through a refinancing activity. And, and you know, we did change bank banks, but again, uh, it's a costly process and, you know, quite involved and, you know, there's a, there's a um, distraction to your day-to-day -day operation for that. Uh, as directors and with the equity that we put into the business, I think we've always been clear on, on what sort of return that we expect from that. Um, you know, the base asset, the land value, 
uh, has gone into a separate company and, and has provided security for that company to borrow. Um, people do occasionally ask us as well, are you ever going to set up a Suffolk food hall too? You know, or a Norfolk food hall or Essex food hall or whatever, which you know would be a good thing to do and it would allow us to reuse the knowledge that we've we've built up. But the, the big issue with that is trying to get that base asset at a sensible price and how one puts that in into your business. And, you know, it doesn't matter what people are thinking of setting up, but a lot of these principles will apply to other people who are looking to things setting up and making sure that you you know correctly account for the original director's loans and what's going in and what the return on those investments are and, and how, you know, what what yield you're getting out of the assets that you put in there. Um, I mean, you know, the grant support that we've had, uh, not only for capital works, but obviously in COVID area, ha has been exceptional. You know, has been, um, I was going to say game changing. That's that's perhaps not totally true, because I'm sure without those, we would have found ways of uh, making sure that the business worked. But, you know, grant support is gratefully received and it has allow us, allowed us to in essence, just employ more people. You know, it's given enough of a breathing space within the company, whether that's a furlough scheme or whether that's rate relief, um, you know, it has just allowed us. And as a, a, a relatively new company that started up in, in the Labour local authority, we're probably the biggest employer now that's started up through the credit crunch and, and COVID era. Um, so, you know, it's great to have that that staff base and um you know i hope i hope we can go even further and even forward uh, that there will be some some limitations to that so you know there are there are lots of things here around how one plans a business and mm. and how one gets the best value out of that so let's let's just deal with this last 12 months and how you've coped so what was the initial response when you you saw the initial lockdown coming restrictions cutting in immediately at that stage probably not so much of a an awareness of government support um how did you respond as a business to that um so the the, the very first response was ensuring people's safety uh, so you know as a grocer we've carried on trading throughout um obviously our food service side of of the businesses had shut down and start up and shut down again and you know there's been lots of chopping and changing to that which has presented its own problems but initially when the first lockdown came in it was of making sure that we could trade safely for our staff and our for our customers and it has been a very enlightening period and actually it's been quite profitable so, sorry, this is this is very much in the context. I, firstly, you know, we're not smug about the whole situation and we know that there's been a lot of adversity and people having to deal with very difficult things. And, you know, there there is still problems that will present itself, not least, you know, people being out of the workplace and, and you know, the um, mental issues that might be connected to uh, you know, a lack of interaction with other people. So there are lots of problems. But if we look at what we've done, it has challenged the way that the business was operating. And out of that, there have been improvements to the services that we do. And probably more importantly, there's been improvements to the processes and the efficiencies that the company has. And this is, you know, no one really wishes to go into an adverse situation, but if you're up for it 
and you're flexible and adaptable and you're prepared to graft, there's great benefit can come out of it. And, and we have really seen that ultimately through to the bottom line at the Suffolk Foodal. But that adverse period has really been the forte of the company. So, you know, quick examples. Uh, we actually elected to really promote a good, efficient contactless collection service rather than doing deliveries or anything like that. Um, and in the first lockdown, you know, the supermarkets were getting themselves in a pickle with supply lines and delivery slots and, and to a certain extent, the safety of their customer. And probably those things, you know, meant that actually they lost customer confidence. What we've definitely seen is people have identified local independence as a genuine alternative. Uh, being at home, they perhaps have had a little bit more disposable income and they wanted to treat themselves at home. So they've gone out and, and have bought from their local butcher or high street deli. Uh, and, you know, we've been really well placed to provide a fast, efficient service, you know, 24 hour turnaround from when you send us your shopping list to when you can pick it up, um, which, you know, is over and above what the uh, delivery operators have been able to do. Um, we've provided foods that perhaps, yes, it's a bit more expensive, but it's better quality. So therefore we think it is as good, if not better value. Um, and you know, those are just a little bit of a taster of how actually this difficult 12 months have ultimately benefited the company. We are all a bit tired at the moment. Mm. You know, there's definitely fatigue, um, and you know, trying to keep people's enthusiasm and uh, actually flexi furlough has allowed us to chop and change people around so that we can give give the team a break. So on the one hand, you've had significant benefits in the way of people just wanting to enjoy local food. Um, that's been a real positive. I guess the on-off the restaurant has been and the cafe has been an issue in the sense of closed open closed restrictions uh, and again how are you managing staff in that situation and how are you managing demand in that situation you know in all honesty they they are doing it you know the, the supervisor the team the general manager um i admire them because they have rolled with the punches uh, we you know that uh, and the, there have been a whole variety of different punches you know um the furloughing arrangement has perhaps been good financially, but it has meant that people have been out of the loop. Uh, the team dynamic has changed a little bit. So, you know, those who have stayed and worked hard um, have formed a very strong bond. Uh, some of the government policies I don't agree with. So accruing holiday whilst furloughed has presented an issue because you've got one half of our team working hard on site, accruing holiday, but others who they may think are sitting at home but also accruing holiday. And then, you know, how, how does how does that then, um, how do we work out the rotor of when that holiday is going to be taken? So, you know, there have been difficulties. Um, in lockdown one, we were good at keeping in contact with staff, but I think in hindsight, we needed to have over-communicated to them. And uh, we definitely got better at that, keeping them engaged. Uh, and, you know, using training opportunities to get them back up to speed and ready for when we do reopen and to develop their own skill set and so on and so forth. But, you know, that that is, it's difficult when people are isolated to a certain extent. 
what services do you have available at the moment? Um, if I rolled up and parked in the car park, what would be there? Yeah, so so the, the retail side of the business is open. The um, butchers, bakers, fishmonger, delicatessen, you know, they're all operating as normal. Uh, the cafe is operating a takeaway service. Uh, and it's been good to see people coming out to the countryside and taking some exercise and, and perhaps getting coffee. Um, we, in lockdown three, particularly looking at Suffolk and, you know, what the R rate has been here, obviously at this point in time, it's great that it's it's starting to drop off. But when the R rate started to increase, um, we then started splitting our rotary even more so that, you know, we were getting into a situation where we were stopping wherever we could any crossover of staff. Um, yeah, luckily, we've not had positive cases, but we have had people who have uh, self-isolating because they've come into someone off-site, come into contact with someone off-site who's, who's proven to be positive. Um, and, you know, I, I suppose the, the guys, and particularly Jackie, our standards officer, you know, she's what she's done in terms of changing our processes and redefining rules and making sure we're upholding our standards has been exceptional and has allowed us to carry on serving our custom base and in some cases i mean if you look at all our fresh departments they're outperforming not only the budget but previous years you know i mean uh, you know this this is just exceptional yeah. um so you know uh, the demand has been there we've had to obviously balance that with making sure that we're able to carry on trading and meet that demand so let's walk inside that uh, those those sliding doors open and, and we can go inside. Uh, for someone who's not visited the food hall before, talk us through what we're seeing in front of us, the, the sights, the sounds, the, the smells, the tastes, if we could reach over every cabinet and try everything. Uh, what's available to us? Uh, what, what makes um, your offering uh, so distinctive? The food hall, we created it to have a sort of market hall feel to it. Uh, so it's like a large covered farmer's market. All the operations we actually do run in an integrated fashion, but they they have a bit of their own identity. So, you know, there's very much the bait team and the, the, the butchers and the fishmongers and so on and so forth. And we're trying to really create, uh, and this was part of Rob's original idea, you know, that ability that you would have done in an old market town, High Street, to go and visit people, perhaps not with a specific shopping list, but to talk to who's there and to get inspiration from them, to get all the sensory overload, the ability to taste things and to smell things and to hear from the team what they recommend, uh, I suppose one of our objectives is to be original in what we provide and to inspire customers and to perhaps challenge them to maybe look at different things. It's really anything over and above what the supermarkets do. Supermarkets are very good at convenience and price, but they do that perhaps to the detriment of quality, of nutritional value, of localism and, and all the wonderful things, you know, people get a great sense of well-being and pride and, and interest and, you know, uh, supermarkets are good at encouraging us to buy volume and incentivizing us to do that. But actually, in reality, we probably all need to eat a little bit less, but to eat better. And this is where, you know, a local independent can really come in and, and provide something that's different. 
And so, yeah, as you go around the food hall and whether you're visit, visiting the, the chocolate counter or, or what we have in from the local market gardeners and the, and the greengrocer, uh, even, you know, stopping by the hamper station and, and, you know, last minute panicked birthday presents that you talk to Lucy and she'll say, well, you know, let me make up a hamper. What are they interested in? Yeah, it's all those little extra service elements. And that's from what the mainstream's not really interested in. The mainstream is uh, fixated on internet shopping and speed of delivery and, and that sort of thing and uh, self-service rather than customer service. And as an independent, we're very much there with traditional service values. So, you know, I, I think, and looking at our customer feedback, um, I know that we do please and inspire our customers and we do provide them with something that's that's a bit different um, and they may be paying a little bit more but actually you know if we all get good service and we get something that's good quality then we are happy to pay a little bit more uh, if the service or quality is not right the first thing that the customer tends to do is question the price so you know that that keeps us uh, attentive to to what we need to fulfill. Obviously, this podcast is really all about Suffolk and about how people can spend their money and save their money and give their money. But let's just think then about, I'm intrigued about what makes Suffolk so good in terms of its food and its drink, because it's that that you really showcase. You know, your local farmers, you've obviously uh, got lots to say about how wonderful your produce is. But talk us through what makes Suffolk so good. Very interesting question, because, you know, as a county, we don't have a signature dish or even, a, a, you know, so there's no Lancashire hot pot or, or Cumberland sausage or, uh, and, you know, we actually don't really have a, a, a county champion for food. So there's no Hugh Vernon Whittensall or Rick Stein equivalent or anything like that. Uh, but what Suffolk does has, which is genuinely unique, is its landscape and that's uh, geomorphology, if I go back to my uh, university days, uh, is unique and our setting and our climate is very different from anywhere else in the country. And that physical situation actually then filters down to our farming heritage. So, you know, if I try and paint the picture, we have a wonderful coastline we really enjoy the beach, but that means we have great fishing. We have these huge estuaries that tend to stretch in land, great fingerprints across the map or finger lines across the map. And next to those estuaries is where the lowland marshy ground meadows are. And that means that we have a very strong history in livestock. So the sheep, the Suffolk sheep and the red pole cow, and also obviously the Suffolk horse. That livestock history um, has underpinned things. I suppose with the intensification, farming did come away from that, but there's a lot of mixed farming systems coming back into it. And a lot of farmers are now returning to sort of slightly lower input, more extensive systems. And that includes us and hence our, our red pole cattle. But you also then, as you move slightly further away from those estuaries, particularly in the east side of the county, you get into sandy gravel grounds which are yeah, light land which is uh, very good for growing vegetables we have the sunshine for that uh, providing there's irrigation 
then we have have the water for that. So, you know, Suffolk is a leader in carrots, potatoes, onions. That light land is also ideal for outdoor pigs. And then as you go further west across the county, you get into slightly heavier land. That clay land is very good for growing cereal crops. And those cereals and the barley particularly, you know, that's then led to our brewing heritage. So all of a sudden, just out of the geography of the county, you've got a definition to the farming history, which has then influenced what our food heritage is. And that is genuinely unique and different from anywhere else we can find in the country. Our one problem as a county is how I say that in three words rather than 300. <laughs> yeah. Is, is that what we need within Suffolk? Do we need an individual who we can rally behind or a cause or a movement of some description that we can say, yeah, do you know what? Suffolk is absolutely fantastic at this, which perhaps at the moment Devon is very good at, or you know, I'm not going to name other places, but do we need that within Suffolk? Because yes, it was a heritage, but actually it's also a reason to be right now. It's, it's of its time. It's not in the past. Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think we all individually are, are that conduit to promote it and to take pride in it. Um, I think, you know, sometimes we do need to look on our back doorstep and, and to get out and recognise these things. And, you know, whether that's going to visit local beauty spots, you know, or, or visiting local museums and, you know, taking an interest in what's immediately on your doorstep rather than, you know, trying to think of further afield. Or whether that is, you know, just taking a bit of pride in things. You know, Suffolk is is this wonderfully quiet and unassuming um culture and character the county character that we have um which I, I you know i think is a great thing i think it's a it's, it's a good asset um you know maybe we don't shout about things and maybe we downplay the county a little bit too um and you know now is a chance to take a bit of pride in in what we have within our county and and actually colin you know just thinking this through and and the questions you're asking are very thought-provoking because i would really love to know what the genuine uh, financial benefit is of, of investing in your local economy rather than putting the money into you know, multinationals and, and um, corporate-based economic systems. Surely you must be able to answer that. Oh, if only I could. Maybe that's the solution for all of this. So, but actually, that's the very focus of really what we're trying to do with this podcast is, is think about local, you know, supporting local causes, charities, community groups, um, but supporting local businesses, supporting local farmers, supporting food growers. You know, there's so much stuff that we've got and we overlook it. And but you're in a prime position. Everyone who travels across the uh, Orwell Bridge sees a little bit of your footprint there and it should remind all of us just what an incredible county we live in. Local is great and you know the slow food movement and um, championing indies and all the rest of it is important. Um, the, the bit that I stop and think about is you know how, how does one demonstrate how important that is? You know is it just a social feel good factor you know is it is it just the pride that we take is it just the comfort that we have in uh, having spent our own hard-earned money in the local economy or you know can it actually almost be quantified 
in a in a clearer way because you know i know that money that rings through the tills of the food hall employs the local guys it employs them it allows us to have a really good network of suppliers and you know that filters out to a to a broader base and and you know suppliers it's amazing how often you know even small examples like a gamekeeper who delivers rabbits to us he always then pops in and the money that we've paid him at the back door when he delivers the rabbits then goes through the tills <laughs> and you know but that's 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 trevor he's always done that ever since he uh, or since we started and he's always supplied us with fresh wild rabbits so you know it's but it's just that's a tiny tiny example of how localism um does work and you know i hope i hope people do recognize that and it, but it needs places like yours to to really focus the attention i think because otherwise we we tend to just find that we spend money where it's convenient for us but as you say it's not always about convenience it's about looking at the quality and the, the value that we get as a result of that yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting, you know, to know what listeners are thinking about you know, internet shopping and, and the fantastic convenience that, um, you know, I'm actually in the office at home today just because we're trying to spread the management team out and not have people overlap. But, you know, I've had days here in the office and there have been five separate vans have pulled up at the front of the house. And, you know, they're all dropping off kids at home, so they've been buying whatever, but they're, they're all dropping off small parcels, you know, and there's got to be something's got to happen around that. It, it is, you know, it's not a good environmental footprint. And I think whilst it's convenience and easy shopping, so much of it is toot that is fairly disposable and, and you know, doesn't really have value and perhaps i'm sounding a little bit like, no, no, like no. my grandfather or something like that but you know <laughs> does it really in, improve your own well-being by being able to make another necklace or whatever it may be that yeah. doing? but but i guess one other interesting side of what's happened over the last year is the people who've moved out of conurbations into the countryside into suffolk into north essex and so on and are maybe finding the uh, places like yours that can provide that local produce and they can understand the benefit of what that will give them. Yes, uh, and sorry, you're highlighting something that is on my to-do list. Um, you know, we have a loyalty scheme and um, within our loyalty scheme, we, we have you know, rewards points system and there's various offers and incentives for those who are card carrying customers at the food hall. But I, I'm, you know, and this is prompted by you know, Nick who's, within marketing is you know he's quite keen on understanding what added value we provide to the customer and how we do that and how one fosters loyalty and so on and so forth so you know as a small independent we're trying to get our head around these things but that loyalty registration scheme does give us the ability to geographically look at where our customers are coming from and to identify trends and where we think there's perhaps more penetration that we can get to get more locals coming to us and we're very lucky being on the doorstep of Ipswich that you know there are lots of people in Ipswich who could change their shopping habits to using a local independent more often um so yeah I can't because I haven't done my to-do list I can't actually definitively tell you what their trend is and, and how people are, are changing or, or whether we're seeing sort of an influx of, of new people to the area um and you know we are obviously conscious of various build projects that are going on housing development around Ipswich and and, and on the Shotley Peninsula and it will be interesting to see whether that changes our dynamic of our customer base 
I do have a prediction though for the future, and this this is here to give hope to independence. Is you know, whilst we may be shopping a lot more online, ultimately we're still herd animals, and sorry, it's my farming background. We're we're still social. We still want to meet people. We still want to go out, and we still have time and some income that is disposable and discretionary and we're looking for recreational activities to do this and so you know what should high streets be doing what should independent shops be doing they need to be thinking about how they can entertain their customers how they can provide something that the mainstream is just not going to be interested in that you can't buy on the internet but there is a golden opportunity because people do want to get out there and they do want to catch up and that's not just pent-up demand post covid i think this is long term we may you know and from our point of view yes it may be that people do the bulk grocery at a discounter but they'll certainly go and buy their you know discerning elements their premium elements they'll buy from their local high street butcher or their deli and this is this is where that golden opportunity is that you've got to provide a service and you may make money out of selling products but it's the service and the entertainment that you provide with that mm. So that then just leaves me, just as we come to a close, to then think about the future for your business. How do you see that? So one of the things that Rob and I have mapped out is, is uh, very much getting the business to run itself. The team need to have that sense of ownership. And, you know, we've defined a path that essentially, you know, uh, notionally we call it the opco but the operational team you know they need to solve the problems they need to define what their outlook is what their strategy is what their long-term objectives are they need to have clear core values so that they're keeping within the parameters that they've defined and you know a financial return needs to cover the initial director's investment so there's got to be a sensible return on investment. But over and above that, we should all, as a business, all employees with the business, and particularly the, the opco management team, need to share in that benefit. So, you know, what we're, what we're trying to lay out here is an ability for uh, the shareholders to receive sensible return on investment, and yet for the upside to be there for the operational team. It's a constantly evolving world and, and marketplace, and you know there are new products and new opportunities coming into the marketplace. You need to uh, make sure you understand those and promote those to your customers. So you know what what you do is very similar to what we do. It's just uh, a different uh, different type of chip that we're selling. <laughs> I like it, Oliver. That's been fantastic. Really appreciate the uh, explanation as to how this uh, has evolved from just some farm buildings into something that's a real destination. But yeah, most importantly, I think that it just gives us some real confidence that Suffolk does produce some absolutely wonderful um, delicacies, uh, food, absolutely incredible um, material for us to consume. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for your part in all of that. Uh, my pleasure, Colin. And rest assured, don't worry, your eggs Benedict will soon be back on the menu. So I you can't can have wait. A, a little bit of Suffolk ham, some uh, free range eggs from Flouten, and obviously homemade muffins at the Suffolk Food Hall. So, you know, come and enjoy when, when it's up and running again. I cannot wait. That will be something very much to look forward to. Thank you again, Oliver. That's been brilliant.
What an amazing conversation to be able to have with Oliver and just understand something more about this dream that the family had of putting this destination location on the side of the river where yes they had the land but they had the vision to transform that into some place where people would want to go and yet what's the big attraction that they have yes the location is amazing but what is the appeal is actually the contents it's the Suffolk food so isn't that just a great thing to be able to understand and we wish Oliver and his family well as they continue to grow and as they continue to promote the amazing foodstuffs, um, the amazing drink um, and produce that comes from Suffolk.